Hello, everybody, and welcome to the long-awaited return of Football Unfocused after a um, uh, two-month gap, almost, um, which I'm going to put the blame for which entirely at the hands of my podcast co-host, uh, Matthew. Say hello, <laughs> Matthew, and wish our, wish our listeners a Happy New Year, Matthew. Happy New Year, yeah. I'm sorry about that, everyone. Yeah, today I'm sure we're recording this on the 18th of January, and yeah. uh, Matthew... Um, I think we should make this a monthly podcast now. Shut up, Matthew. <laughs> it's not what the, the, well, the people want regularity. They need this in their lives. And you are so the we barrier. All, mate, we all want regularity. You are the barrier. Yeah. And I've also, what I've done there is deliberately made you say, I've sort of coerced you now into saying Happy New Year because I love that at the beginning of every year, that sort of tiresome, cliched kind of 97% are office chat of, oh, when's it, when's it too late to uh, say uh, Happy New Year? Oh, God, you're still going to be saying it in mid-February at this point. You know, um, that, that kind Someone of Someone actually said to me Happy New Year shit. yesterday. Did they? Well, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. perfectly reasonable. I mean, theoretically, you could say Happy New Year to someone in August if you hadn't seen them up until that point and... You felt the need. But why not after August? Well, indeed, you could turn on the 31st Oh, right, sorry, December. right, okay. Yeah, I, just, took... I just picked a month that's a long way away, feels a long way oh, away, okay. and we're sitting here in the fucking freezing cold. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, yeah, if you want to say Happy New Year for 2023 on the 31st of December 2023, who's to stop you? you know, this isn't fascism yet. <laughs> Suella Braveman, you know, she's she's slowly... She'll have a thing or two to say Oh, about she that. fucking will. She hates people. She won't apologise for people who say people. Happy New Year, like in the same way that she won't apologise to survivors of the Holocaust. But, you no. know, she's a sensible politician for a sensible age. Um, just as, <laughs> unless, of course, you uh, expect uh, to uh, have respect to survivors of the worst humanitarian... Uh, act in in history well alongside slavery um but people who have come through that don't deserve respect or or apology no that's fine fine suella you crack on anyway as ever listeners um who have been um, um craving our return uh, i'm gonna just begin with some uh, just brief questions as a as a an enlightening um introduction into matthew his personality because i tend to do most of the rambling on in this bullshit um uh product that we knock out from time to time product. so in order to uh in order to really lift a lid on the enigma of matthew uh i ask him some questions to sort of you know to look under the bonnet and see how much grease <laughs> and shit there is there uh matthew <laughs> matthew are we oh, talking about the shower? Yeah, sorry, again? And, and, and just, just yeah, we are. And just to clarify as well, uh, these questions. Um, what I did is I put a, a quick um, call on Twitter, and these are questions submitted by uh, our listeners, so they haven't come from me. Matthew, in 2023, which of these do you think you'll most frequently be? A, a useless prick. B, an embarrassing twat. Or C, a staggering cunt. <laughs> I need to check our Twitter. I yeah, can't believe somebody that, wrote that. It? Yeah. It's funny how the questions <laughs> that, that, that um, were uh, sent in from our Twitter followers, our yeah. four Twitter followers, are re- tally almost exactly with the sort of question I would ask. <laughs> Strange that, isn't it? Um, I think it was a, the embarrassing one. An embarrassing twat. Yeah, so you're, I feel that's you're the less you're, of, that you're going to a staggering. What was it? A staggering cunt. A useless prick and a staggering cunt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, so in, to be embarrassed is probably the least worst out of the three. Mm. No, it's, but it's an embarrassing twat specifically. Do you think you are oh. going to fulfil all the, yeah. the character traits of a twat? I mean, you certainly yeah. have in the. And what was the first one? Of, the no, prick. A useless. Useless. Prick. Useless. A useless yeah. prick. You, you have to be both useless and a prick. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've, yeah. No, let, I'll stick with number two. So, an embarrassing uh, twat. Twat. Okay. Good. <laughs> you, <reckon? laughs> good, good. you had to double check. Yes, which... <laughs> I, I really did. Yeah. Good. Matthew, question two. Other than podcasting, what other activities do you expect your dog to? Pre- prevent you from doing in 2023 <laughs> oh my days she has present pre- prevented me from doing quite a bit mm. i've had to stop going to the gym yeah like because i just i just don't have time to walk her mm. and go to the gym as well i mean the tail I mean, really is wagging the dog isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah me being the dog indeed me being the towel she okay, is yeah, she yeah, is yeah. she is the tail and you are her dog, her bitch dog. <laughs> yeah. She has got you so, sussed. She, yeah, I know. She's got my number. So, yeah, I don't quite think a bit, in my life quite a bit. I've ever known anybody to uh, invite a dog into their home, purchase a dog, acquire a dog, whatever you want to call it, and be yeah. so fundamentally affected by it as you have. I know. I, I am quite surprised mm. how much. But that leads on to question I, we, three. We mentioned... Uh, Let me get question three out of the way first before you elaborate. Question three. Do you feel, Matthew, that a prospective dog owner has the responsibility to research the impact of cohabiting with a particular breed of dog before inviting them to move in? Um, What? Yeah, so it would be wise to do so. How did you frame that question? I said, do you feel that a prospective dog owner has the responsibility to themselves or to wider society yeah. to research the impact of cohabiting with a particular breed of dog before inviting them to move in. Yeah, no, I think that's a valid point. Mm. It's not Very a point, valid. it's a question. A question, it's a valid question. Uh, so yes, definitely, definitely. Mm. I mean, she's currently like molting like crazy. So they like shed their coat like a snake every two, twice a year. So she's literally just, her hair it's just been dropping off her like so much. I mean, she's basically her genetics are to like she's like a like a husky basically, she, isn't she? So she she, would, she would yeah, be a she winter a dog. So I'm amazed yeah, that yeah, yeah. during that winter, the coldest part of the year, she's shedding her coat. It's very odd. Mm. Yeah, but it does fit. But with it also you, highlights. It really suits <laughs> you having a, a, a dog that you can't control or understand. I know. I know. It's it your personality so and. I, I, it makes me think. I wonder whether huskies make for good indoor pet mm. dogs. Yeah, it really does. Generally, make you think that, or maybe, yeah. or maybe, yeah. But I've said this to you before. I was, I was thinking. I, I don't know if after Kaido would necessarily get another dog. <laughs> no, because it is lovely quite to challenging. have fundamental regrets and doubts about the future after just a few months of We're... owning a dog. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but we we do really like her, and we will obviously keep her for. As long as she blesses us with her presence, indeed, but, um, it's that classic thing, isn't it? You've, you've 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 become accustomed to the suffering, and you've begun to love the suffering. Yeah, like a prisoner you, or a gimp. Are, are you speaking for your own from your own? Experience? No, I'm talking about you and the dog. Oh, just a dog, just a dog. Okay, me and my yeah, lodger. Good. That's different because the lodger 
will fundamentally change in terms of uh, character and behaviour over a number of years. And there are pros and cons to each stage of that behavioural shift. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Kaido is... That's that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no... Ch- no. From this point until... I mean, can whenever, you imagine if you'd got her as a puppet? She'll be the same. What would, would oh, my done? goodness. You, it would have been... Bedlam. It would have been a nightmare. <laughs> it would have killed. Well, I don't know. I don't from the outside know. looking in, it looks like Bedlam anyway. And she's what eleven? Or going on thirteen? Going up right. Okay. Yeah, so so twelve. So yeah. So uh, <laughs> so so, uh, so yeah. So, you yeah. could say that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I knew there was a number in the middle in between them. Two. Yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah. I should have listened more in maths. Really. Should. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I to- total nightmare. I couldn't imagine it. So um, good. Well, is yeah, she getting she, what she needs out of it though? Is she enjoying ruining your life? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> you had the sun plus side. A bit, a bit, yeah, yeah. From her, I hope a bit like you, really. I'm sure. Yeah, I hope there is some some plus side. What you know, are you talking specifically about our relationship? Or are you talking about me yeah, and my lodger? Yeah, no, no. You and our I, the dynamic between yeah. you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What's the upside I, I then? Hope, I mean, we, this is the third year you get something out of it. Each other. What would um, I get out of it? I'm trying to think what on earth I get out of my my relationship with you. And, and I do, <laughs> and it is a relationship. Um, I bought you some beers the other day. Well, uh, in the pub. You bought me some beers in the pub. Oh, sorry, what you mean by that is you bought a round when we were both drinking. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, you so you took your turn and did the decent thing of, you know, paying your way. Well, you, you said you, you said I've ordered some drinks. Can I have your card? And I said yes, sure. Because admittedly, I would have struggled getting to the bar, yeah. so it was actually a favour. <laughs> it was after dark. Um, it was after dark. Yeah, I'd probably brought yeah. two or three in a row. And was just like this guy is going to get around now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should we talk about some footy? Oh. <laughs> He the wants 30. to talk about football. Well, so because of um, Kaido the dog and her uh, incredible needs and lust for life, we uh, reneged on our promise and commitment to produce podcasts kind of throughout the World Cup. Um, so we've now managed to <laughs> let the remainder of that tournament, including the final, potentially the greatest World Cup final of all time, as well as uh, almost a month of the return of uh, top-level European football, pass without any uh, comment. <laughs> any um, comment. Real, you know, if you're going to make a successful football podcast, you really need to be hot <laughs> on the, these these key areas, you know, these sort of hot points that only come around once or so often in the cycle. And what we've done is, uh, in order to ensure the continued failure of this um, sort of vanity project, uh, we've just ignored all of that and come back when... Um, <laughs> You know, when the FA Cup third round replays are on. So, <laughs> so that's good. Who needs a World Cup? So Matthew, do you have anything that you've noticed? Because uh, I know you're, you're obviously, you know, you're going you're gonna to be watching a lot of football uh, since we last. Um, um... I guess a couple of things. So obviously Arsenal are doing very well. Mm. And Man City. I saw an article <clears throat> that said Man City <clears throat> um, are probably playing worse with how. Harland mm. or something to that effect. So, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not. They're not. They're not at the top. See what I've done there. I've, I've exposed made... his um, his cloak. <laughs> of you know, he, he read an article that suggests something. <laughs> that he had headline. absolutely no. Yeah, he read a headline. That he had absolutely no <laughs> idea about. He's he's not even watched it to form an opinion. <laughs> so he tried to pass that off there. Did you notice that, listeners? Um, 
It's uh, and Arsenal at least he's trying, I guess. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> As we both coughed there, excellent, great. Oh, he he at least muted his mic. I didn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Arsenal. I mean, it's it's difficult when you look at the Premier League in general. And then Arsenal, I suppose, as the most standout example at the moment. Because even though we're in mid-January, we're only just reaching the kind of halfway point in terms of games played. So we're basically a kind of month behind where we would normally be in terms of games played. We're kind of at, at what would normally be that just before or, or slap bang in the middle of the Christmas fixtures. But because of the way the fixtures are going to be um, for the remainder of the season... Uh, they are going to come thick and fast, so I suppose we'll be back on track because the season is actually finishing around about where it normally would anyway, kind of mid to late May, maybe a week or two later. Um, and the, I suppose the other thing to take into consideration before I go into, you know, massive praise of Arsenal is they haven't played Man City yet, and I suppose that is, despite their result of the weekend, um, that is still the toughest test, and there was a reason why they're... they're their first fixture, which was scheduled for sort of October, November time, <clears throat> had to get postponed. Annoyingly, I can't remember what it was, but it was something to do with fixture congestion or something, maybe uh, uh, one of the European competitions. But anyway, so that that they, so if Man City managed to beat Arsenal twice, then I think it then goes back to a one point gap, and you'd fancy then in that situation City to their experience to um, tell. And I think also it cannot be underestimated how things will change significantly over the next few months, just in terms of um, the men, you know, the the things that happen to you psychologically. As if you're if you're an, a kind of above expectation performer, I, I noticed as a, as somebody who supported Liverpool in 2014, when out of nowhere, you know, the previous season I think we'd finished something like eighth, and then out of nowhere we were like bang. We're going to win the league. We won about 14 games in a row or something ridiculous like that. And Suarez was scoring a hat-trick in every single game. We were absolutely blowing teams away despite looking awful at the back. And we you know, then got within a Steven Gerrard slip of winning the title. And it, that would have been absolutely in, incredible. Now, I'm not, I think Arsenal's is kind of more controlled than that and probably more likely to succeed. But I suppose the similarity is that it's the the lack of experience and the performance above expectation. So you, re- you never really know what's going to happen. Um, but what I would say is that so far, I mean, their points total is, is incredible. You know, they, they, I think it's in one game they've lost, is it? And that was to, that was at Old Trafford. I think they were, they were a little bit unlucky if I remember the game uh, rightly. They are cruising through matches. They very, very comfortably, without any real bother, beat Tottenham at the weekend. You know, you'd look at that on the fixture list, regardless of how the state Tottenham are in, and you'd think, because of the rivalry, that's a that's a banana skin dealt with. You know, they're just cracking through um, matches. I was a bit worried a couple of weeks ago, because Arteta, much as there's a lot to like and respect about him, he can he can kind of on occasions act like a bit of a dick. Um, and he, he, you know, he, he does love to sort of pick a fight. And he was, I thought he was particularly out of order in the game against Newcastle with Eddie Howe. And you could see Eddie Howe, who's like one of the more sort of reasonable, if uninteresting um, Premier League managers, sort of really bit his, 
bit his lip and sort of took some completely unnecessary and quite juvenile abuse um, from Arteta. And I kind of think you've got to keep a lid on that mentality because it's the, it's the balance between wanting to have that kind of, you know, that passion and that fanaticism and that leadership to drive your team over the line and to keep them performing at the level they are, but at the same time not losing your head completely. But he seems, I mean, you know, the weekend against Spurs, he was the, the complete opposite of that. It's just completely ice cool. So he clearly has the ability to switch it on and switch it off when he needs to. And I suppose having spent quite a few years on the um, on the Guardiola coaching team, learning every single day from that that approach, getting teams over the line, winning trophies, then you know he he knows he knows what he's doing, even if there isn't a huge amount of winning experience in the Arsenal squad. Or that shouldn't be forgotten, of course, that they do have a couple of Man City boys, Zinchenko and Jesus. Whether they're injured, playing every week or whatever, it doesn't matter. They're around. They're through that door every day that they're impacting on the rest of the squad and how they deal with big fixtures and, you know, being eight points clear or whatever. So it is going to be really interesting. I do think it would be good for the Premier League if um, a team like Arsenal went kind of, you know, almost from nowhere, really, when you consider how they ended last season and how the last few seasons, despite winning, you know, uh, the FA Cup a couple of years back, absolutely nowhere near even the, suggestion of a title race and top four being way beyond them if they go from that to winning the league which will be for the first time in uh, what will it be 19 years so 2004 when they last won it um, I do think that will be a you know a good thing and it will it will it will sort of give a nice counter to the expectation that it has to always be about the club who spent the most in their transfer market you know Arsenal did spend a reasonable amount last summer but it that's not, I don't think, the reason why they're they're doing so well. I don't think it's kind of based on that. Um, just kind of improving players, spending smartly, and having young, sort of fearless, highly talented footballers um, who are really well coached. So, I mean, fair play. I mean, you must be loving it because I know you're such a <laughs> such a diehard Spurs fan. You, you, yeah. you must love seeing your North London neighbours. Because for quite a few Loves years, it. you know, for the first time in my lifetime, you've been able to lord it over Arsenal. And I know, again, yeah. being such a passionate fan, I'm sure you've been doing that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I do, I do turn, feel, yeah, but I do feel similar to, <clears throat> excuse me, how you feel about Man City is that you're always quite happy them to win. But yeah, obviously at the moment, we're very keen for Man City to <laughs> to to do the business and uh, overtake Arsenal. So you're 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 now a massive city enthusiast, are you? <laughs> By the way, I'd... yeah. So so I'll be interested to to hear what you think about the Harland argument. I mean, I personally don't buy that. I heard it kind of being. It, I think it's become one of those slightly. And this isn't meant as a criticism of you because it's out there. You found it because it's it's out there <laughs> when. A team has a couple of kind of unexpectedly poor results. There has to be a, there always has to be a reason for it. It can't just be that on a particular day an opponent outperformed them and they maybe weren't quite at their usual best, or I don't know, as was the case at the weekend, an outrageous decision went against them. I mean, you know, I'm I'm no fan of the um, the club from Old Trafford, um, but I always try and call it fair. But the the equalising goal, I mean. How that hasn't been given as an offside, it, it just is just staggering, absolutely staggering. Um, and you know, City had just got themselves one nil ahead, and you know, despite 
not completely dominating the game. They looked quite comfortable up to that point, but then they, it all just went to pieces, and the game then became a much more stretched and emotional, much more than it should have done had that had the right decision been um, been made. But City, when you break them down points at this stage of the season, goals at this stage of the season, they're pretty much... I mean, it, there isn't enough of a difference between this season and last season to um, suggest a trend. Um, they, are, I mean, Haaland's... The percentage of the goals he's, he has scored is far greater than um, than kind of any other player, even kind of Aguero, when he was at his absolute peak, um, has scored. So City probably are, therefore, sharing the goals around a bit less maybe relying on Holland, but they are still pretty much scoring as many goals as they always have and uh, have all, you know, in and around the same amount of points as they had this time last season. They don't, you know, they tend to only lose two or three matches a season maximum. And that's why the standards in the title races between uh, them and Liverpool over the last five years or so has have been so, you know, incredible um, because the margin for error is so small. And so City, if you look at it from that respect, um, maybe now need to, you know, go half a season where they lose a maximum of one more match, um, but they are capable of doing that because they're Man City, so they've got they've got the resources, they've got the players, they've got the experience, they've got the coach, and they are still the best team in the country. Um, but it's whether, you know, you can get a season. You know, that, that when you when you think about the, the the year that Liverpool won the league in twenty twenty, like that they won it by about twenty points, despite all these years of it being really really tight between uh, 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 us and City. In that particular season, sort of City went to pieces around the autumn time, and Liverpool just sort of pulled clear and never relented. Even when they came back after the lockdown break, they were able to lose a couple of games and still. In fact, they would have. They got so many points before the lockdown that they would even if they lost every single match what was it eight eight games or so after the lockdown they would have still won the league and that completely bucked the trend of every other season over those years so it is possible for City to kind of have a season where they just sort of implode a bit I don't think that will happen I think they will push Arsenal all the way and I suppose after the result at the weekend um, it's not even completely out of the question that the other team from Manchester could have a say in this because they are they are despite the way they started the season and despite the way that they've been performing over the last um, sort of 10 years really uh, they are on a hell of a run of form Um, and you know that was a big win at the weekend so we'll see I mean I don't I don't expect them to win the title but stranger things have happened but for that to happen Arsenal would would really have to have to sort of you know um, implode I think because the reason I sort of talk more about City is because I think, as in the team that are most threatening to to Arsenal, is you know experience, quality, but also the fact that they're playing Arsenal twice, and I do think that is the most crucial thing. I think it, it really could come down sort of old school to those two um, fixtures, uh, similar like it did last time. Arsenal were, were regularly in title races. Really, it would always come down to their rivalry with. Um, with Manchester United and under Ferguson, you know, those, those colossal battles you'd get. And it would often end up being the, the team that does, you know, comes out on top of, of those two fixtures. Um, although the teams, both of them, did used to absorb a lot more defeats per season and, and much lower points totals in those days than than has been the case over recent years. I, I do have to point that out. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, isn't it interesting, actually, in a way of sort of, touching a little bit on the World Cup, 
which we foolishly, as as we previously mentioned, uh, decided <laughs> to just completely ignore. Uh, that you know, before the World Cup, uh, things, even though the results had picked up a little bit um, at Old Trafford, it was still everything was about Cristiano Ronaldo, wasn't it? Absolutely everything. So you know. Ten Hag leaves him out for a few weeks and everything's about him. The cameras are obsessed with him. The commentators are obsessed with him. They're like, when's he going to come on? Will he change the game? It, you know, it's so, so tedious. And he obviously loves all that. And then he does a, 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 like a just a repulsive interview with that toad, Piers Morgan. And, you know, two if two less likeable people have been in the same room anywhere in the world in the last uh, sort of three months, I'd like to see... Uh, you know, I don't know whether Boris Johnson and Vladimir Putin had a meeting around the same time, um, but that would be the only thing that could beat it. Or you know, um, yeah, well, pick, pick a Tory. Um, uh, but um, but uh, that, as a PR move, completely backfired because I think people, even even the, um, he is probably followed by more sycophants than anyone I've ever known in sport, let alone just football, like the people who love him just are just pathetically uh, belligerent about defending everything he does and just complete fanboys and cannot see any any error in his, you know, constant egotism and his narcissism and his strutting and his, um, you know, undermining of club traditions, team ethics, etc., um, etc. Et but really since then, his his life, his professional life has completely imploded because that completely backfired the club were very happy to sort of say you know what let's just part ways you know yeah you can go no problem you know good luck good luck in the future he didn't then have a, a, a the rush of clubs after him as he would have arrogantly and um, have been certain that he would have done so, um, his world cup was I would describe it as embarrassingly poor really because he spent even though Portugal were decent their best performance was the third game in which he'd been he was dropped um one of my observations about the World Cup, which was a brilliant World Cup, by the way, despite the things we discussed before, purely on a football basis, it was a brilliant World Cup. Um, an interesting observation, I think, that you know, I'm not the first person to, to make this observation, but uh, you get a, there's a particular type of football fan now that follow individuals rather than pl- uh, rather than um, clubs and and national teams, and I don't know whether that's down to the sort of, you know, the video game or the sort of, you know, Snapchat, WhatsApp, uh, TikTok generation or whatever, but they really are, they follow players and whatever clubs they play for. And there was a real sense of that in the World Cup, in the games in which Ronaldo was benched, in that, you know, the chanting from the crowd, uh, you know, the, sort of, you know, there was some very... I would describe generously as phony-looking Portuguese uh, crowd and sounding for Portuguese, just chanting for him, which I don't think any genuine football fan, when their team are like four 0 up in a crucial World Cup game, would realistically do, no matter who it is. Um, anyway, he, he but the, his main contribution to the World Cup: three things. He scored a penalty in the first game, in which he had a poor match. He tried shamelessly to rob a goal. I think it was from Bruno Fernandes, wasn't it? When he he um, spuriously uh, claimed to have got his head onto a ball that he got absolutely nowhere near and was going through the rigmarole, celebrating, walking off the pitch, making sort of cameras could see him say, oh, I, I touched it, I touched it. And then had to go through the ignominy of it being taken off him by uh, the sort of, you know, the, the uh, 
video analytics team who like the goal panel or whatever they're fucking called um and then uh the, you know ends the world cup by being um in the team that gets knocked out by uh, Morocco comes on as a late substitute, doesn't impact at all in the game, storms off down the tunnel and then ends up in tears when the entirety of the rest of the Portuguese squad, including, you know, because it was, I've heard people defend it by saying, but he hardly played in the end and he didn't want to make it by himself. Bullshit. Second and third choice goalkeepers who didn't get on the pitch in the tournament came off the bench and applauded the Portuguese fans. They stood with their teammates. They stood with their manager. Um, and uh, acknowledged the support that they'd got and lot, went off the pitch with some dignity, showed respect to their opponent. He didn't do any of that. As always, sulking, patheticness, you know, just a complete man-child. Uh, makes it all about him. And then, uh, <laughs> and then after the World Cup... Uh, oh, yeah, another thing he did, which shows the complete lack of, <laughs> lack of class, is that his coach, who has been the, the, the coach of Portugal probably through the most successful period in the country's football history, with the possible exception of the Eusebio um, era in the 60s and sort of, you know, maybe in the 90s they were decent, but, you know, consistently winning the Euros and, uh, you know, getting to the last stages of tournaments consistently. The coach retires, resigns, whatever, all of the Portuguese players, all of their top stars during that time, do the modern thing, social media, what an honour it was to play under you, thank you for all your support, etc., etc., you know, gushing, gushing praise. One notable exception, we all know who that was, you know, absolutely pathetic. He has played under that guy. That guy has indulged him for years, years when he's been... You know, he's had to change the style of the entire team to accommodate a man who stopped running, stands around in a box moaning at his teammates and wants the ball put on an absolute plate for him the whole time to keep up his own uh, um, personal record quest. Um, that coach indulged him all the time, finally ran out of patience, as did the Portuguese people, where a poll of people, about 70% of those questions, wanted him out of the team. Um, and Ronaldo can't just look at that and say, oh, you know, he did... Yeah, my form's gone. He did the right thing. He had to um, uh, uh, just sulk and then refuse to sort of, you know, acknowledge or thank his his manager for all those years uh, after he res- resigns, which I think is typical of the character. But there you go. And then counter that with, and I know this 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 does <laughs> indulge then the the tiresome and 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 uh, sort of, you know ultra cliched Messi versus Ronaldo argument but but a beautiful thing about that is that as someone who's always you know thought that Messi is possibly the possibly uh, the greatest player ever to have walked on a football pitch uh, that 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 argument's now over because the the the, the criticism that they would throw at, at Messi would always be around oh but he hasn't won a world cup in the same way that Maradona won the World Cup and Pele won the World Cup, etc. By the way, it's absolute bollocks because Johan Cruyff's always in that conversation and he got to a World Cup final but never won it. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's the same sort of shit from people who don't truly understand football that you, you get all the time. But, um, but even to, you know, to shut those people up now, Messi is now a world champion. He was Argentina's best player in almost every single match. His genius is unparalleled. And I think... The difference in how pe- how normal people feel about him as well, because he's a he's a relatable, likable character. He's a modest genius. Doesn't make everything about himself. The way he carries himself, the way he conducts himself, the way he respects his opponent, respects his teammates. Um, I think there's genuine delight for him, which would have made a lot of people support Argentina, who wouldn't normally probably give a shit. Um, so I was personally delighted. Um, 
he won it and the you know scored in pretty much every match and yeah so fantastic and he's now still playing in top level European football probably will for the rest of his uh, career hope he goes on to win another Champions League Cristiano Ronaldo on the other hand appears to have I mean it's strange because I'm sure every top European club were desperate to pay him 100 million pound a week or whatever he fucking wanted I mean <laughs> I'm sure it was deserved whatever he wanted but he strangely seems to have gone to Saudi Arabia um despite saying in his uh in his unveiling press conference at his new Saudi club that there were loads of European clubs who were after him but he feels he's done in every, everything in Europe now it's now time to go and conquer Asia so um, good luck. And that's a, it's known as being a really tough, high-quality league in Saudi. So I'm sure um, I'm sure all the European broadcasting uh, companies will be beating down the door of the uh, Saudi state to get domestic football from from uh, <laughs> uh, Riyadh uh, um, uh, broadcast in uh, in all of the living rooms all over the world. So yeah, um, it's been a it was a really interesting period of time and. I really enjoyed the rest of the World Cup. I've really enjoyed uh, the return of English football, despite the fact my own club are all over the place. But, you know, these things happen. <laughs> you have to take the rough with the smooth. As I always have tried to emphasise on this podcast, you can't just, you know, be... I despise these kind of fans who think that, think that their club owes them success and see it as an entitlement, almost like, oh, I've bought a theatre ticket and I'm not happy with the performance, so I want my money back. That's not how it works. You know, follow, following a football club is about the rough. There's a, there's a perverse part of me that enjoys when we're doing badly as well because it really separates the wheat from the chaff and, you know, <laughs> uh, a couple of seasons in the Europa League wouldn't do us any harm. It would just knock some more uh, fly-by-nights off the, uh, the scrap for tickets. So, you know, that wouldn't... Um, necessarily be such a bad thing and you can afford that when you've had you know league champions european champions etc you know? <laughs> can't just be winning the whole time can we man um everton's an interesting one as well i know i love to have a, a dig at everton uh <laughs> so why change now but they managed at the weekend to the fans managed to terrify their board of directors to such an extent that they couldn't for their own safety go to a home match against southampton which they then managed to lose uh despite going ahead uh, they have got an absolutely massive uh, match this weekend. Uh, so Frank will be leading his team into the London Stadium about uh, through against his uh, boyhood team and the team that his father and, of course, himself played for for uh, many years, West Ham United, who themselves are having a really poor season. Um, so that genuinely could result in either Moyes or Frank Lampard losing their job. That is a absolute ding-dong uh, battle this weekend, but... Everton, yeah, it's weird. They sail close to the wind all the time. But it shouldn't really surprise anyone they're doing so badly because they haven't been able to buy any players. They stayed up by the skin of their teeth last season. They've basically got the same squad, um, minus Richarlison, who was their best player. So, uh, you know, despite that, and, and it, it, it's incredible, really, because they've got an absolute genius manager in Frank. And I'm sure, um, you know, he'll, he will keep them up. Um, but you know the board seem determined to make it difficult for him and don't seem to really respect what a great manager and a great man he is um, and I just hope that changes and I'm I'm, I'm certainly <laughs> praying for him I don't know why you're laughing but... uh, I was thinking about something else <laughs> <laughs> excellent well good anything else to add Matthew no no you've answered about all my questions or you, you know you, you, you want to talk oh, about right. your genitals 
not right now. Good. Okay. Well, you can keep us updated. <laughs> we'll, we'll save some for the rest of the year, and hopefully, we will produce these podcasts on a much, much more regular basis. But it is in the hands or the paws of a um, female husky <laughs> called Kaido, um, who will be howling any minute. So, on that, for that reason, and on that bombshell, I'll have to say, uh, as my lodger, my 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 beautiful partner, and my lodger. Uh, appear over my shoulder here. My lodger is really staring at my face. Uh, do you want to say something uh, before we go, my my lodger? You got anything to say? No. Just make a noise. <laughs> no, that, that was Kelly. Just to just to be clear. Okay, so <laughs> so from from uh, my lodger, I'm just going to say on that on that bombshell. Oh yeah, here we go. Oh dear, on that bombshell, it's time to say goodbye from football unfocused. <laughs>